chairs, tables, anything you don't want. The Metal Man probably hauls it away for free. Reg the Metal Man will even haul away your old car parts like engines and trannies. Hey, he'll even haul away the whole car for free. Zip, nada, nothing. Get rid of that old stuff like sheds, awnings, sinks, and more. Check out Metal Man at freerecycleguy.com or call the Metal Man today at 801 Must Rust. That's 801 Must Rust. The Metal Man recycles it all. Call 801 Must Rust and lighten up. inside the descent module at all times. You are now 600 feet below the surface of Science District Sector 5. This installation is fully shielded from EMP and nuclear pulse blast. Welcome to Sector 5 Master Control. And have a nice day. Welcome. You have reached Sector 5 Radio. This is Mark Stevens, your host, in for Dickie Shannon, Captain Proton, and Spacey Dave at my left and right. Good, good evening, guys. Hello, hello. Good morning. <laughs> Guten Tag. Hey, we got a pretty uh, special guest uh, the first hour, uh, uh, Tom Barbelay. Uh, artificial intelligence expert. Our second hour, of course, we're going to have uh, author, lecturer, publisher, and uh, global research uh, newsletter uh, producer. Uh, so, but first, uh, let's get uh, right to Tom uh, Barbelay. Tom, are you with us? Almost. He's almost there. <laughs> He's almost there. If <laughs> there we turn on the volume, there he is. Tom. Hi, Tom. Mark Am Stevens. I coming through? Yeah, Tom. Can you hear us? You're on the air. Mark thank Stevens. Thank you for having me on. Hey, thank you for being here. We're pleased to have you. Uh, hey, I understand that you are, in fact, an artificial intelligence expert. Maybe you can give us a little bit of a, uh, your background. I know that you've, uh, you're the author of a uh, computer program or architecture. I don't know how you'd even uh, describe it exactly, uh, enti- or named uh, the Noble Ape, and we'll probably get to that a little bit later. Uh, but maybe you could give us a little bit of your background as far as how you got into the field of artif- artificial intelligence. Uh, how did I get into the field? Well, I didn't really get into the field. I think I'm a, a, one of many who, who practice a particular form of, uh, I guess, organically inspired artificial intelligence called artificial life. And many of us really didn't come to it through any formal education. I was studying physics and philosophy, and I was about 19 at the time, mm-hmm. and I realized that I developed a lot of bits of software up until then that had various kind of emerging forms of intelligence or life or a wide variety of different characteristics, and uh, I was sick for a period of time with, uh, with Mono and looking to kind of distill a lot of the software that I've been developing, and the thing that struck me was that... Um, it was very difficult to actually test philosophical principles in simulation. So what I did was create a very rich environment, uh, a, a biological island environment initially with a wide variety of plants and animals and uh, simulated interactions and all different kinds of simulated biology. So, <clears throat> so th- these, are, these are totally simulated inside uh, a, a computer software program? It, Certainly, Okay. Yeah. So... The ideas were that the scalability associated with simulation, i.e. the richness of detail, just hadn't been achieved up until that point. And I used some relatively novel principles from physics in order to get a high-resolution simulation environment created, uh, which was the origins of Noble Ape. And also, there were uh, intelligent agents, uh, simulated apes, that inhabited this very idyllic simulated environment, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, the various theories in artificial intelligence, neural networks, and various other kind of behavioral theories weren't up to snuff in terms of actually dealing with a rich simulated environment. Right. So I looked back at some of the software I had developed simulating uh, Petri dish uh, populations and looked at the way the information flowed 
in uh, those kind of uh, bacterial uh, simulations mm-hmm. and then use that to model uh, two competing ideas, one that I call fear and one that I call desire, and created <laughs> a, a novel cognitive simulation method and put it all together in this thing called Noble Ape. You know, that, that makes perfect sense when uh, you talk about uh, fear and desire, because mm-hmm. it seems like that's how kind of we, we as humans structure our own lives, whether we Perfect. like it or not. Um, now, when you say uh, uh, high-resolution environment, that, that doesn't necessarily mean visually, like graphics high-resolution. That, that well, has more to do with the, the reality of it mathematically? Both, actually. Uh, oh. What I found curious was that... Um, Certainly with the early development of Noble 8, there was a good feedback into the graphical environments. And um, I'm, I'm currently talking to you from Las Vegas, Nevada. The thing that got me over to the U.S., uh, to Silicon Valley, was in fact the graphics component of the Noble 8 simulation because uh, basically once you have a rich organic environment uh, that can be modeled down to not the size of a grain of sand but certainly kind of clumps of sand up to um, potentially planets, you need a means of actually conveying that to a general user. Now, obviously, there are scientists that can get pages and pages and pages of data out of those kind of simulation environments. But if it's not visually pleasing and richly visually pleasing, (laughs) then your average user probably won't be able to get the same kind of interaction. And my view was always to create something that... um, perhaps undergraduates, perhaps even high school students could be receptive to. So, yes, it was, in fact, both parts. It was both a simulated environment, but also uh, a means of visualising that environment. And certainly the latter part was uh, something that a number of folk over uh, in the US got very excited about, which uh, moved me here in 1999. Right. Uh, you know, we we throw around the the term artificial intelligence, and I I suppose that any any machine that has the capacity, and and I'm just going to kind of throw this out, and, and you take it where you think it needs to go. But any any machine, uh, conceivably that can make a decision, whether it's a thermostat or you know, is is it too hot? Okay, I'll turn the the heater down. If it's too cold, I'll switch it back on. Could that be considered a, a rudimentary form of intelligence? And, and kind of where I'm going with this is, what is artificial intelligence? And, and maybe we need to define what intelligence is, to, you know, just intelligence, uh, artificial or, or not. I, I think that's critical. And certainly when I was looking for a definition of intelligence, I went to uh, paleobiologists because basically they were dealing with the very first irkings of intelligence uh, out of organic systems. Mm -hmm. And I went to a fellow called Roy Plotnick, and he described the circumstances associated with uh, simple cellular organisms learning about feeding grounds and kind of irking their way between feeding grounds, and then slowly they built this uh, ability, really quite sub-intelligent, uh, to move between these feeding grounds, and then that was kind of refined over time. So uh, yeah. my definition of intelligence comes purely through survival, uh, which in and of itself is relatively controversial. Yeah. Uh, but I certainly think that if we start with the concept of survival, then we can ascribe intelligence as survival to a wide variety of organic and inorganic uh, systems. So and that's where it gets particularly interesting. So, uh, in in uh, the ability to survive is is kind of the catalyst or genesis to intelligence in in an emergent uh, system. Is that is that kind of where you're? I think in any system. In any system, okay. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about the the noble ape a little bit more. Uh, I I understand that was uh, at one time uh, kind of per- either purchased or absorbed into uh, uh, Apple Computer. Is that right? No, noble ape has always existed independently. It is something that I do after hours. In fact, it's not connected with anything that I do professionally. Um, but it's been used by both Apple and Intel and a wide variety of other companies uh, to do some very interesting things. Apple started using noble ape formally uh in about 2003 and the thing that interested them was that they had a wide variety of processor technologies that weren't particularly efficient at doing complicated mathematics mm-hmm. and um noble ape basically tickles a wide variety of parts of the math uh 
within processes, but also in terms of memory use and moving between uh, various areas of memory, it does some interesting things there as well. So they originally started to use a processor metric, but as, as you, we described initially with regards to the simulation, both graphical and mathematical, uh, they then realized that the real-time visualization, which has always been a central part of Noble Ape, was also very useful for a wide variety of other application uh, authors, uh, third parties, and also even within Apple. Mm-hmm. So they used this very tight mathematical core that I developed in Noble Ape plus the uh, visualization as a means for firstly creating metrics um, for uh, processing, which is the uh, rather cute eight brain cycles per second, which is still used at both Apple and Intel, mm-hmm. and also as a means of looking for bottlenecks that would slow down graphics or would uh, stop real-time graphics. So if you think currently about technologies like uh, QuickTime and streaming video, and I'm assuming people are listening over the Internet, streaming audio, all these kind of technologies have a real-time interaction but a very tight mathematical core. Mm-hmm. So they use Noble Ape as, a, um, I guess, an independent example, basically, in order to tune these kind of uh, high math-intensive processor interactions together with a real-time component. Uh, and Intel then picked it up for, for things that were relatively similar. So it's used both in terms of tuning, also as a third-party developer tool to show these eight brain cycles per second and how they can be optimized, and also a wide variety of other uses. And Noble Ape is open source, which means anyone can download the source code, they can do whatever they want with it. Uh, there are folks, a wide variety of companies that have used Noble Ape for a number of things. Uh, and I mean, certainly the example associated with Google and CERN is, is relatively interesting as well. But I think that probably answers your question associated with Apple specifically. Okay. Now, as as far as the the community of these simulated apes, uh, would how how would that actually happen? Would you would you give this community of of simulated uh, apes a problem and then expect them to work out uh, a, an answer, or is it a little bit more esoteric than that? Hey, we're right up against the break. We'll be right with you. You're listening to Sector 5 Radio. Hi, this is Matt from DP Cheesesteaks. Just like our name says, we specialize in grilling up authentic Philadelphia-style cheesesteaks, and we don't do anything else. This simple menu gives us the ability to prepare all our ingredients fresh every day. Fresh baked bread, steak thin-sliced in the store daily, and mushrooms, onions, and peppers that don't know what the inside of a can looks like. We also ship in Philadelphia favorites like Tasty Cakes, Hearst Chips, and Pennsylvania Dutch Red Birch Beer. If you haven't been to our stores yet, we just made it even easier by opening a third location in downtown Salt Lake on Broadway and State. You can also find us in South Jordan and American Fork. For a full menu and directions, check us out online at dpcheesesteaks.com or search the Downtown Philly on Facebook for weekly coupons and contests. We hope to see you soon. When you work for a company, you know what goes on behind the scenes. I'm Becky, and I work for the best guy in the car business. I'm talking about affordable rent-a-car and sales owner Dave Eldridge. He grew up working in his parents' car dealership. It's the only business he knows, but he's the shy type, so until we can get him to come on K-Talk, here's all you need to know if you're going to rent or buy a car. Come see Dave the Shy Guy at Affordable Rent-A-Car and Sales. We're at 4000 South State Street in Salt Lake City, or give Dave a call, 801-266-RENT. That's Affordable Rent-A-Car and Sales at 4000 South State Street or call Dave, Becky, or Jen at 801-266-RENT. Hair loss affects thousands of people in the U.S. every year, either through heredity, illness, or stress. Thinning hair, comb-overs, or shaving your head is no longer the only solution. Personal appearance is important and should be left in the caring hands of a hair restoration professional. Hats Off Forever provides clear, professional, and honest answers that you deserve. With the holidays fast approaching, you can give yourself or a loved one no greater gift than self-confidence. Give the gift of great hair. Call now for your free consultation at 801-208-9548. That's 801-208-9548. 801-208-9548. Hats off forever. Call now for your free consultation. Give the gift of great hair. 801-208-9548. 801-208-9548. 
Now we return to Sector 5. Welcome back. This is Mark Stevens with Sector 5 Radio, in for Dickie Shannon. On the line we have Tom Barbelay. Uh, Tom, are you there? Certainly. Hi. Uh, the, I, I posed a question to you uh, before the break, uh, whether uh, basically the mechanics of introducing, a, is it a problem-solution utility or tool, the, the Noble Ape program? So um, your example, for example, but your example associated with the Noble Ape solving problems is an interesting one. I mean, let's, let's just take a step back. I think Noble Ape has been used in the social sciences more to test theories and approaches. So, um, for example, testing the response of agents to specific environments, also uh, testing various agent models, like do we understand uh, how humans react to... Uh, natural disasters, for example. What's the existing theory? Can we mm-hmm. put the existing theory uh, into the noble ape simulation, see how the noble apes react, and start uh-huh. testing the existing theory? <laughs> okay, kind of like Google does to us. Certainly. <laughs> Very much so. And we might talk about Google a little bit, because I, you, you know, nobody on this program, program would ever think about, you know, entertaining conspiracy theories. But <laughs> but there is a little bit of uh, news as far as uh, Google having a, a computer that that can anticipate human behavior, both on a, a micro uh, scale and a macro uh, scale. Uh, I I don't know I don't know if you have any inside information on that or not. But but uh, mostly I'm I'm more interested in in the uh, the noble ape. Now you mentioned how how the apes would react in a natural disaster or in a certain envir- uh, uh, environment or, or event and then maybe extend that out into how people would react? Well, the issue associated with the social sciences is typically creating testable situations and then putting the theories to work. And what let's, let's use Google as an example because I gave a public talk at Stanford in July and one of the fellows who came up to me afterwards, in fact, we had quite a long conversation as I walked through the car park, uh, was a former Apple fellow who's now at Google. And there are a number of folks that have, I guess, taken the religion of Noble Ape from Apple to Google. Mm-hmm. I don't know specifically what Google is using Noble Ape for, but I do know that there are a number of people at Google who have a, a background knowledge of Noble Ape. And uh, if any of them are listening in, I really do like receiving source code submissions back. But mm-hmm. what this fellow put to me was that, um, okay, so imagine that you have a simulated environment. Rather than the apes being uh, entities in an environment where they're consuming fish and, uh, you know, creating family histories and, uh, you know, getting afraid of other apes and mm-hmm. uh, fierce cats that are attacking them, imagine that they oh, are you have cats. simulated <laughs> Internet users and that rather than their interactions being things like eating and moving around and uh, having children and teaching the children and these kind of things, they are, in fact, simulated Internet users that are performing searches, looking through sites, doing a wide variety of behaviours that are relatively well understood. So my understanding is, and this may or may not be the case, but Google has used the Noble Ape simulation to create a simulated Internet user, multiply that by hundreds of thousands of times, and then see how close they can get the responses from simulated Internet users to the real stream of Internet users, and then basically grow uh, theory on and, that. And use that as a benchmark. Get, it as, get, the, get the simulation as close to reality and then use that as the benchmark? Well, no, not necessarily a benchmark, but just as a means of testing theories. Oh, I see. Because obviously sure. a company like Google, you know, flies on its intellectual property, and the intellectual property that would be generated through that would give a better understanding of what an Internet user actually is with regards to tuning advertising and a wide variety of other things that Google does. So really it's m- removing the noble ape from the simulation to, uh, I guess, the, uh, uh, the human in front of the screen. Uh, so, yeah, that is one possible use of the noble ape simulation. Right. Uh, I w- would kind of like to take this, uh, extend this a little bit further. Um, we're we're talking about a relatively, and sorry for the pun, a, a primitive group uh, in in the noble ape uh, software. Even though certainly it can perform some pretty, you know, astounding feats. Uh, you know, when utilized, uh, you know, the extent that it can be. Uh, 
Where do you see? Well, let's let's talk about a, a sentient or or actual, actually conscious or self-aware computer. Are are we close to that? Well, I think the problem is that we are very much caught up in our own view of our own intelligence, and certainly what you find and what I found through Noble Ape is that agents can exhibit a very intelligent and very uh, survival-centric uh, behaviours without actually needing to have a lot of underlying intelligence. And I think a lot of the uh, discussion associated with, uh, you know, uh, super-sentient computing and all this kind of stuff is very much caught up in the same paradoxes of intelligence that have been, I guess, re- writing uh, philosophy treaties for uh, the past uh, two, maybe two and a half thousand years. Sure. What so is... What is- what, what is consciousness? What, what are we? Exactly. So if you remove yourself from that uh, aspect of the question, if that's possible, I think what we see with modern-day technology is vastly super-sentient. And the real issue is how we then create a philosophy or a means of understanding how we actually exist in this society as kind of sub-sentient creatures as opposed to super-sentient creatures. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, in and of itself, is philosophically very sticky. Sure, yeah. Well, ultimately, you get to the big question, do we have souls? And if if we build a computer that's that's clever enough that we wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Uh, well, you know, let's look at that. How, how would you test for that? I think what is particularly fascinating is that the current financial system basically enacts murder and various other things independent of human control. So irrespective of whether you want to talk about individual humans having souls, the current financial crisis is as much created by the super technology and the interaction and the lack of human uh, insight and control as it is anything else. And when you're talking about vastly complex systems, it's probably better to start at that level rather than looking at the potential of what is quite, in itself, quite an abstract construction versus, for example, foreclosures, uh, people unable to get work, and a large part of this actually being created by the system uh, that manages all of this, yet no one has any control or insight into it. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Uh, so how how far away do you think we are? I mean, uh, th- there is Moore's law, and I I know there are some uh, hardware restrictions and and you know certainly some software uh, restrictions on just how uh, fast these computers would have to be uh, to to achieve a, a thinking machine or or a machine that and l- let's just say it uh, you know kind of the HAL nine thousand of of two thousand one where. You know, if unless you were in the same room with it, you would never know that you weren't speaking to a an, another human being. Is or or is it is it kind of comparing apples and oranges? Is is a, uh, a a computer intelligence or consciousness going to be different than a and and maybe we're anthropomorphizing. We're we're applying human our human values and and. Uh, ways of looking at things to something that is expressly not human. <laughs> I know there's a question in there somewhere. I think that's exactly the point. <laughs> I mean, this is the, the horse-car paradox. I mean, we have fundamentally horses, and computers are fundamentally, well, not even cars, but they're as car-like in their intelligence as we are horse-like in our intelligence. So it's, you know, the, the humans are like horses on a hill looking down on the freeway saying, sure, they're fast, but they'll never quite be horses. And I think this is the, the <laughs> real paradox associated with any question of machine intelligence versus what, what we perceive to be our own intelligence. Right. So, uh, I don't know, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years? I'm post-singular. I believe that basically the technology is super-sentient and fundamentally controls us. So my view is that we are, in fact, completely blinded by our own views about our own intelligence, and what is actually happening to us currently is that the technology 
the infrastructure and the vastly complex systems that we have created are ultimately working independently. And I don't think it's a question of processor power. I don't think it's a question of Moore's law. I think it's a question of things like the financial system, which are beyond our immediate uh, intelligibility or control, that are clearly beyond Let, our intellectual hold, capacity. Hold, 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 hey, Tom, hold up right there. We're up against a break. We'll be right back, and we'll, we'll pick up right where uh, we left off there. Sector 5 with Chief Security Officer Dickie Shannon. This is Mark Stevens, your host of Sector 5 Radio. We're back with Tom Barbelay, artificial intelligence expert. Tom? Certainly. Yeah, we were saying, and maybe back up a little bit, so uh, we'll uh, catch uh, those who have just uh, joined us uh, up to the conversation. With so the we, we were talking about intelligence and the notion of, I guess, human intelligence versus machine intelligence versus kind of vastly complex systems. Yes, and, and specifically to the economy. Yes. So I think there are a wide variety of examples of uh, vastly complex systems that are clearly... Uh, clearly transcend our own intelligence. And the economy is a good one because it's currently doing, well, its own bidding, independently of any kind of human insight, control or understanding. Uh, So it's a good one to use currently. Mm -hmm. The uh, most technologies, uh, it's, I'm sad to say, uh, at least in well, actually, I, arguably all throughout history, have eventually been either uh, a product of or applied to the the taking of human life through warfare. Uh, how and and obviously we have autonomous drones and and things of that nature. Uh, where do you suppose that will go? Uh, as as you know, is is it going to get worse and worse? In other words, as well, according to Wired magazine, and my sense is that this is probably the case. The technology that governs drones is relatively trivial to actually create. Yeah, it's, they're autonomous, but they really don't have the capability of making a decision. Or, or is is that close? Well, the function of a drone is uh, basically to enact casualties and the way in which those casualties are enacted is independent of, uh, well, ideas in artificial intelligence. It relates basically to uh, primitive explosives and a wide variety mm-hmm. of other things. But my sense is that the stuff that uh, goes on with regards to drones and kind of tight military control could probably be replicated. And, I mean, Wired magazine, I think, put out a story uh, a few months ago in the slide that uh, all these kind of technologies could be um, used, uh, you know, in, in the worst possible ways against us as yeah. well. Well, yeah, and that's the sense that I get, too, that these, these uh, you know, what do they call them, you know, UAVs, uh, they, they really, their, their job isn't to make uh, moral decisions, it's just target acquisition to a preset rule, and then it goes and does its thing and comes back. Yes. Okay. It doesn't need to come back. I mean, oh, I think right. there are a wide variety of technologies which don't require it to return at all, Just and they're certainly the cheapest and the easiest to implement. Right. <clears throat> hey, uh, we uh, may have uh, some callers. Uh, let me give the phone numbers just, just in case uh, our audience would like to ask you a question, if that's okay. Certainly. Uh, the phone numbers are 801-254-5855 or 801-670-5855. 5855 or 801-470-5855. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us directly, uh, sector5radio.com, and uh, be sure to click on the Facebook uh, link. Uh, Tom, uh, Isaac Asimov talks about the uh, kill switch, uh, or something similar to that, and the three rules. Uh, 
uh, you know, and I think they were self-preservation, you know, you know, obey humans and, and do no harm. Do, do you think that we even need to worry about that, uh, th- those rules to build those into our smart machines yet? I think the smart machines have already been built without those rules. I mean, to, to, <laughs> to point out what I'm advocating here, I think we need to have an active philosophy, an active understanding of the contemporary world. I'm not a futurist. I'm not talking about, you know, what is happening in 10, 15, 20 years. I think, unfortunately, we've been let down by a wide variety of uh, scholars and uh, people down to politicians associated with how we actually understand these systems. So my interest is as a simulator to actually get an understanding of where we are currently and hopefully utilize this understanding to actually generate um, what's commonly called simulation science. It's kind of a broad uh, set of uh, interdisciplinary frameworks in order to understand where we are currently. Uh, excuse me. Uh, the three eyes. I think the three eyes Bovian. Oh, by 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 the way, Tom. This is a uh, ca- uh, uh, Captain Proton. He's a co-host. Yes, and uh, the three Asmovian rules are to obey humans, uh, to by action or inaction to co- no, cause no harm to human being. To the second law is to obey humans. The third is to uh, is for self-preservation. And so the question that I would I would pose to you is that that seems to be extremely hard to do if your machine has emotions yet everybody seems to want to have emotions there, there there's more and more research in causing uh, a software to behave be, behavior have behaviors that are replicate emotions is there a, a need for that do you think or do you think that's just dangerous to have a machine that really feels cries upset angry well i think i mean Certainly there are examples of robots that need to have that in terms of their interaction with humans. But uh, returning to the example of the financial system, I'm not sure that that has emotions in the context of any kind of description. Tell tell that to somebody who lost their 401k. (laughs) Well, no, that's exactly my point. My point is that the financial system in no way models the emotional impact that it has on the... uh, you know the humans that it interacts with; it just carries on on, on. on its victims. <laughs> well, go ahead, doctor. Hello, there. Hello, I think we may have lost Tom. No, I'm here. Oh, I'm oh here, okay. <laughs> I thought that was a caller. The uh, now you mentioned philosophy. You know, I, I'm fascinated on on how someone would actually get into this field. It, it, it sounds like. Uh, it's such a new uh, field, uh, and, and I don't know, how, how long would the field of AI be around? Probably not more than 50 years. Well, I mean, to be clear, I'm part of a subset of, of which is really not even, I mean, not even overlaps with AI called artificial life. So it's been around for about 30 years. AI, well, I mean, in conceptual form, it predates Plato. I think basically... When people start talking about how long has something been about, there will always be scholars that go back and find even more information prior to whenever someone wants to put a line in the sand. Uh, And with regards to artificial life specifically, if you go back to the 15th century, you can find philosophers talking about concepts in artificial life. If you talk about artificial intelligence, it goes well back prior to that. Obviously, they weren't talking about computers then. They were talking about thought experiments, views of reality, perspectives on, on a variety of different things. But in terms of uh, a hard discipline, obviously it comes around at the point where the term is coined, uh, but I think academically and in terms of just a, a general population, these ideas are, you know, are, are pretty fundamental. Yeah. So, so basically it would boil down to someone, uh, as far as artificial life and or artificial intelligence, you would, you would want to have what under your belt? A, a good, uh, solid basis in computer science and philosophy and... Uh, I think people come to it from a variety of different areas. There's a group of artists that pick it up. And I think what you find is that the areas of knowledge that you don't have, you have to pick up pretty quickly. Yeah. So um, if people come to it from a wide variety. I mean, even musicians and artists come to these ideas and they will learn to either program or learn the mathematical background. Or if you are friendly with people that can program and these kind of things, I think that can also be assistive. Um, so really, people come to it from a wide variety of different areas. I mean, I'm not a, a formally trained computer scientist, uh, biologist, or anything like that. My background was in physics and philosophy, although I'd written antiviral software and done a wide variety of other kind of 
computer science-y things like compilers, but I never did that formally academically. I've always done that in parallel. Um, so I think really uh, the thing that has always interested me is um, certainly when I started Noble Life, I started getting emails from children, you know, 8 to 12 years old, 15-year-olds that were actually quite, uh, quite conscious and aware associated with the various programming problems that they needed to... Uh, to work through, and my own background in terms of when I started writing AR simulations and antiviral software was relatively young. I mean, I started Noble 8 when I was 19, but I started wow. kind of programming when I was about 14 and 15. Mm -hmm. uh, and really, it just takes a passion and interest and an ability to, uh, you know, to go out, and if you can't find the information, you try to work back from first principles and create it through, uh, I guess, many late nights, this kind of stuff. Now, uh, no Noble Ape, how, how, you mentioned it's open source. Now, that's still available to the public then? Certainly. Um, okay. And, and how would, uh, I guess, uh, they just do a Google search for Noble Ape, or is there a specific yeah, website? Yeah, NobleApe.com. Okay. Uh, and from there, they can download. I do a relatively canned version of the simulation just to get people interested and involved and get a sense of what it is. Mm -hmm. Then there are a wide variety of other interfaces. I mean, obviously, scientists prefer... Well, some scientists prefer to run it and get data, which then they, they then import. So obviously there's a kind of simulation core, and then there's a variety of skins that are put on the outside. But it's available for uh, Macintosh, Windows, and Linux. I've maintained those three platforms. There's a, an iPad version, um, which you need the software for. It doesn't go through the iPad store. Uh, and a wide variety of other versions that people have written. There's a web server version, um, which people use for long-term simulation, a variety of other interactions. So, yeah, I mean, if you go to noble8.com, download the software, have a play with it. Obviously, what you see in the initial downloaded software isn't the full uh, kind of suite of uh, stuff that's been done with it, but it gives a kind of potted idea of what uh, the Noble Ape simulation is about. Right. And, and the long-term, uh, are, are you at liberty to discuss some of those long-term uh, projects that might be uh, in interesting? Well, I mean, I think what I've always found is that the the users that get involved, the folks that actually uh, download the software, be they independent hobbyists or companies like Apple and Intel or uh, academics, I mean, I, it's it's a source of kind of continuous wonder for me in terms of the ways in which people actually use this uh, <laughs> thing that I wrote. Uh, and uh, a large portion of my time is actually spent maintaining it. And when people do get in contact with me and say, I'm interested in looking at this, or um, particularly there's a fellow in the UK who did some development and is now looking at um, political structures and the, the way in which a politician grows from uh, early childhood through to, I guess, being elected president or prime minister. And so there are a wide variety of really quite curious uses of the simulation that... Uh, Keep me interested. So the user base is always taking it in different directions. I'm I'm sure the site, the world of uh, psychiatry would be fascinated with the results of that particular project. Certainly, <laughs> I think what if the fellow was interested was looking at whether you could actually find points of explicit corruption and whether you could use these kind of corruption metrics to actually track a variety of uh, politicians and kind of see into their souls almost. Right. Um, to return to one of your metaphors. Hey, hey Tom, we're right up against the uh, uh, break. Uh, we'll be right back. You're right. listening to Sector 5 Radio. Are you a baby boomer or an empty nester? Were you born between 1946 and 1960? If so, you are a perfect candidate for the new techniques called tooth-conserving dentistry. These new techniques help eliminate the need for root canals, crowns, or caps, even if your teeth are already damaged or have large fillings. The new techniques can even replace missing teeth without dentures, partials, or bridges. Call 254-0835, that's 254-0835, for a free consultation. Dave Eldridge here. You know Dave, the shy guy at Affordable Rent-A-Car? I'm really not shy. I'm just not your typical loudmouth car dealer. I know and love the car business because I grew up working in my parents' dealership. So even though I might be a little shy, I'm the right guy to rent or buy a car from. Come see me, Dave, the shy guy at Affordable Rent-A-Car and Sales. We're at 4000 South State Street. Or give me a call, 801-266-7368. That's 801-266-RENT. Four years ago, Noemi's husband found work in America. 
to make ends meet, Noemi needed to find work. Basically, I needed to get a better English, to increase my skills, to find a better experience. That's when she found Deseret Industries. They taught me how to be a supervisor. Every time you donate goods to Deseret Industries, you give people like Noemi the chance to learn valuable job and life skills. Deseret Industries was really wonderful with me. Deseret Industries, getting the most out of what you've given. Now back to Sector 5. to an answer to that question. And you're back to Sector 5 Radio. This is Mark Stevens, your host, in for Dickie Shannon, who has the night off. Uh, We're on the phone uh, with uh, Tom. Uh, He is an uh, artificial intelligence expert. let me let me get out the numbers one more time. We may have some callers that have some questions. 801-254-5855, 801-254-5855, or 801-670-5855 if you have a question for uh, Tom, the artificial intelligence expert. Uh, what do you see the most exciting thing uh, on the horizon as far as artificial intelligence is concerned, Tom? Uh, personally, with me, having children. Um, <laughs> oh? No, aside from that, I think... Um, <laughs> Is, uh, oh, oh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, I think. Um, why? Why are we struggling and and uh, pining over artificial intelligence when we'll, all we have to do is fall in love, procreate, and make our own? Exactly. <laughs> because I think basically the the thing that has created. I, I mean, I like to use the term vastly complex system rather than artificial intelligence because I think they're two very heavily loaded words. But yeah. certainly, the vastly complex systems that we see. Uh, you know, taking jobs, foreclosing on folk and doing a wide variety of other things, um, you know, seem to be working at their own pace quite comfortably. Um, I think in terms of computation, in terms of understanding, my hope is that uh, a group of academics will actually get together and uh, kind of join hands and start working on describing the contemporary reality of these things. Um, And certainly that's what I'm trying to kind of continue with in my general instigation and development associated with with Noble Ape and also kind of bringing together a community of intellectuals that are willing to talk about such things. You know, I I can't uh, help but think that there are some inherent dangers in a a computer that thinks, particularly that one that has uh, control of the infrastructure. And here's, here's my kind of nightmare scenario. If we were to feed a uh, computer a problem uh, or, or get accustomed to feeding a computer a problem, a social problem, economic, uh, economic problem, or even a military problem, uh, and, and continue the trend of asking computers to help solve our complex system problems, might not that computer eventually come to the conclusion that we're the problem? Uh, well, when I say that I'm post-singular, I'm not joking. I mean, I think this has already happened. Um, and the thing that interests me, because when you kind of state that you're post-singular, people say to you, well, when did the technical singularity actually occur? And I think of it more as a smear, but I think certainly in terms of computer technology, computerization, what you're describing, this actually existed sometime prior to the early 80s. Fact, oh, really? really? That, that early? Were, <laughs> I think the technology was really in place prior to then, and what we are seeing now is very much post this environment where d- discussions associated with kind of warm, fuzzy uh, morality, computing, and ethics, and all these kind of things <laughs> are just so... I mean, they just seem like dated concepts to me. I think we are dealing with something that is vastly beyond that, and we need to have a kind of contemporary intellectual discourse to understand what's going on currently. Yeah. 
Sir, th this Michael, Captain Proton. I, I, uh, oh, in 15 years ago, I was looking at programs that were helping Interpol, the uh, uh, models of what they were telling us were helping Interpol solve crimes, like group behaviors and actions and things like that. Are you familiar with those kinds of programs? Certainly. And uh, the the question, and now we have uh, uh, GPS on almost every car right now, and we have an ability to basically have cars shut off like if you're driving certain vehicles it's just integral part of your car they can shut it off are you worried do you ever see a future where where basically we're the we're now the ch children of the machine in the in the way that the machine sees us as just not as quite as intelligent as we are are you familiar with the toyota brake problem say it again please are you familiar with what happened to toyota in terms of their braking problem yes <laughs> I mean, I think we already, that's probably the most pertinent example of that. For, for, uh, those, for those who aren't, uh, maybe you can give us a thumbnail on that. Well, I don't know. From a high-level sketch point, it was that uh, the computer controls related to the braking, well, actually, it's not really clear because Toyota gave a number of stories associated with it. But let's just put it this way. The humans that were actually applying the brakes weren't smart enough to run the brakes according to the brake <laughs> systems. And, uh, it, well, <laughs> fatalities ensued. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was getting a little payback. I've seen uh, all kinds of reports, like there was a Romanian lab in which the machine just went wild because it killed some people, and there they were trying to do the, an emotion experiment to things where we have something a little less, a little more innocuous, like the Google car that drives itself, that that can anticipate things, uh, slows down, speeds up. It's just, it's not, it's more of a, it's not really an android. It's more of a robot that anticipates. It's more like an expert system. What do you think is? Are are we going to see? Are we going to see like people just buying planes that just fly themselves here pretty soon where you just have your own personal almost Jetsons type of car because you don't need to have all the skills to fly the thing or drive the thing? You think that's within 10 years possible that we only have our own little plane, if not jet back or whatever? So I'm not a roboticist expert, but I have a few friends that follow these things. And they say that um, contemporary insurance is actually working against that. So we could have that technology already, but there are a wide variety of influences which have got nothing to do with the technology that have uh, stopped that up until now. Um, so my sense is this is not a, a field of uh, expertise that I have normally, but when I talk to people that know some things about this, they seem to think that there are things that are independently stopping this as opposed to where the technology is going. Um, so my feeling is that... Um, all things considered, and probably a wide variety of hobbyists are already working on this, um, those technologies would be there already if it weren't for non-technological related forces that were working against that. Right, so, it's so the, the technology isn't the barrier for that exactly. to come about. It's more of a... Okay. So, so basically, your solution to it is a Shakespearean solution, kill all the bean counters and the lawyers, and we get our, our really cool technology. Um, I've always been surprised about how slow things develop. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, a, a very early reader of science fiction with the view that the future that would be created would be absolutely amazing, and I'm really very disappointed with my iPhone in that line. Yeah, where are our f uh, flying cars, Tom? <laughs> Well, I think our flying cars have been stopped by a wide variety of factors that uh, fewer technologists alone couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't factor in. Um, what's interesting is that the emerging simulations are now finally starting to take note um, to these kind of parts, and certainly the, let's call them the friendly simulations, the ones that are used uh, for insight rather than uh, complete automation, um, seem to indicate that what you need to start doing is modelling uh, Washington lobby groups and a wide variety of other things to actually get insights into why these things aren't here yet. Yeah. Do you think there's a risk? I mean, we've talked about, you know, the, the you know nightmare scenario of, of Terminator and Skynet and, you know, computers and robots taking over. And But, but do you think there's an even worse risk uh, than that? Where, as computers... And and uh, complex systems begin to think, and I and I use that term kind of loosely, that people will stop thinking. This is the Wikipedia effect. This is what you're describing. That basically, yeah, the, you don't the, need to learn anything because you just put a few words into uh, Wikipedia and then you find it. Right. The the tragedy of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I. You know. I, I mean. How how risky is that? I mean. And and what can we do? Uh, 
or or maybe the solution might be to continue that trend into a a seamless interface between humans and uh, an AI or or computers uh, into kind of a you know a transhumanist I think I think the term is. Mm, I've talked to a few transhumanists. I don't think they're that grounded necessarily. But let's return to the idea that people ultimately in the current society need to have jobs in order to basically earn money, in order to pay for internet services, in order to run Wikipedia et al. And I think what is interesting, and this also is probably a function of being post-singular, is that the people that have the technological skill set associated with that have also been progressively devalued financially, uh, primarily through things like outsourcing, uh, but also basically now through a fundamental simplification in a lot of these technologies, um, in large part because they can't actually, well, the companies can't show uh, profits and actually fund engineering at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I think the real problem is that we can all become uh, entities that are fundamentally unemployable but also unable to create and maintain these technologies. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very interesting paradox that we see ourselves in currently. Right. Well, uh, working with the video game industry, I, I don't see that as a problem, as, 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 because it seems like the best technology comes from porn and entertainment and games, because they all develop those things first. No, this is really serious. Hey, hey, hey Tom, I, we're coming to the, the bottom of the hour, the, excuse me, the end of the uh, segment. Uh, could you give us your uh, websites and, and how to find uh, that information again, and, and uh, maybe your blog as well? Certainly, certainly, Mike. I'm, I'm more than happy to be returning guests as well because I do. Oh, we'd, we'd lo- we, yes, we, and we'd love to have you. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> these discussions never actually work to a time frame. And um, the easiest way to reach me is just n o b l e a p e dot com. That is in noble, as in noble person, ape, as in ape. Uh, and you can find me from there. You can find a wide variety of things and literally hundreds, if not thousands, of hours worth of recorded audio discussing these very problems. Yes, and and a lot of it's pretty technical. I was uh, I I listened to some of it, and I have a I have a computer programming background too, and I you know it, a lot of it was over my head, especially yeah, you know these really these really these things. But I think what happens is that if you find stuff that is at your level, you can kind of work from there. Unfortunately, with just the diversity of listeners, we have to cover everything, and some of it is probably even too technical for you know people of the graduate programs or even PhD level. So unfortunately, we just have to cover everything. So uh, you might find something that uh, you know piques your interest um, through the. But yeah, if you just pick a random one, you may get one that is completely in a its own technical rat hole. Perfect, Tom. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you, Mark. You're listening to Sector Five. This is Mark Stevens, your host. This is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. It's here, the 2011 PC Laptops Decimator. This is the most powerful desktop computer we've ever built. It has the Intel Core.